Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches thieves just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Is he strong? May, it's nice to have another edition of our podcast. What are we doing today? Well, today we are going to look at the world of comics, comic books, comic book movies. I think it's something which, like comedy that we spoke about a few episodes ago, is known to have a Jewish influence. But I think that's something that we want to look at a little bit closer, unpick, look at some of the big names and look at how Jewish the world of comic books is. And today we've got another special guest, our friend Dom, Dom Green, someone who is a lot more au fait with comics than I think, certainly me, I don't know about Nico. Yeah. Dom, if you'd like to introduce yourself and tell us how you started reading comics and what you think of this idea. Yeah, hi. So I'm Dom. I'm just someone that reads comics. <laughs> I have no academic or professional qualifications. But when I was little, apparently I was really bad at reading or had like no interest in reading or just terrible at reading, just like a late developer. My mum says that the way she got me reading was buying the comics. I don't think that's true, but it's a cool story. So that's like my sort of origin story in comics. And also in lockdown, I just had a very low capacity to do anything. Like I stopped reading novels. I stopped reading nonfiction. All I could do every evening after putting the kids to bed and like working all day was reading comics. Oh, Superman. So lockdown was like another big thing for me and getting back into the comics world. And it was the only thing I could do at the time. And I kind of got back into it in a big way after that. Is it the escapist quality of comic books that you're looking for? Yeah. I think so definitely the escapist quality and like personally I think I'm just really bad with dealing with life the more life throws at me you know like the, the more the world becomes a confusing and terrifying place the more I can't watch documentaries on like terrible things happening I'm just kind of regressing more into the escapist world of comics and comic book films I'm a bit like Dom. My earliest reading memories are comic books. I remember being really obsessed with the printing techniques of comics and would put my face right up against an issue of Iron Man so I could see all the dots. And then I kind of, to be honest, lost touch with them. And then they became the modern day fairy tales and mythology that everyone's obsessed with. I definitely have phases of being reading to like graphic novels, which I guess is the sort of snobbish world of comic books for kids and graphic novels are like grown up stories with pictures, which I can see there's a lot of resentment to that as well, because it's all visual storytelling, isn't it? I mean, it's not like there should be any snobbery around comics and graphic novels, but I remember really vividly reading Mouse when I was about 12 and just like finding a copy on my parents' shelf. This is like, why is this here? It's a story about the Holocaust, but it's the most incredible way of telling that story. It's very personal, but you get the history and it's a comic book. It's not like it's lighter because it's a comic book. It pulls its punches. It really, it's better than any movie about the Holocaust or any book I've read. I just think it's an incredible work of art. That was a big memory for me as a kid was reading that. Comics for me were my window into America. I came over with the two traumatized parents uh, who survived the death camps. I was, on the other hand, more uh, able to 
get comics when I was a little kid than television. It came into our lives later. I've always had this vague idea that there's a lot of Jewish creators in comic books, but I'm curious to know how consciously Jewish the actual stories are. When you started reading comic books when you were younger, were you aware of the Jewish creators? Is that something that you picked up on with any of the names or anything? Or was it something that you only came to explore or understand or realise later? No, not at all. It's actually a relatively recent discovery for me. And, you know, in hindsight, you can say, oh, that's why it resonated so much because of, you know, the Jewishness of it. And I don't know. I think that's probably like a bit fanciful. I mean, the thing about the names is interesting because if you think about a lot of those guys, Jacob Kurtzberg, who's that? Stanley Lieber, you know what I mean? The climate at the time, we're talking about the 30s and the 40s. Certainly my family changed their name when they came over from the old country. A lot of those authors did. The backdrop of it is that, you know, I think once you get under the skin of comic book stories, and particularly certain comic book stories and certain comic book characters, you can't unsee the Jewishness. You have to acknowledge the fact that these were authors that changed their names to kind of fit in, right? To get by in the world. Even the origins of comics, the way that these writers, you know, a lot of those early Marvel and DC writers got into it was because as Jews, other avenues were not open to them. So like Will Eisner wanted to be a uh, set designer, but he wasn't able to be because he was Jewish. So comic books were seen as low art and therefore it was a way that Jews could get employment and get a foot into the publishing world. Sequential art, which is, right, so, sequential art, which right. is what I call the art of comics, is the arrangement of pictures in a sequence to tell a story. I find that fascinating because that's a little bit like musical theatre, which is, you know, a lot of Jewish creators around the same time, but they're not allowed in the traditional theatre world. So they bring in their history of Alderville and cabaret stuff of the old country, bring that to a Broadway world that wasn't letting them in and then become very successful. Are comic books, are you saying they're quite similar to that then? It's the same sort of era, the same kind of pushing against the system that doesn't want them in, so they create their own little industry, if you like. That's exactly it. There's a great book called Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon where he sort of fictionalises the account of the 30s and 40s comic book world these young Jewish characters that's how they get their foot into the publishing world so yeah I mean it goes back to like that whole stereotype of money lending doesn't it the roots of that the roots of those awful stereotypes come down to you know what we were and weren't allowed to do this is a valid medium of expression equal in respectability if you will to words without pictures or to film. So throw a few names. You mentioned Will Eisner. So who is he and, and what did he create? I see his name a lot on like awards that are given out to comic book writers today, like the Will Eisner Award. What's his significance? Hyperbole coming your way, right? Will Eisner is the velvet underground of comic book writers <laughs> or maybe the Lou Reed in the sense that if you work in the industry, if you know comic, you know, if you're a fan of comic or if you're a writer of comics, Will Eisner's, he's up there, right? But if you're a sort of lay person, who is he? As you say, like the comic book industry awards, they're called the Will Eisner Awards, right? So, so they're recognising his contribution. He's a really interesting guy because he he kind of popularised slash invented the graphic novel, but in like the third act of his life. So he started off writing a comic called The Spirit, and then he went into kind of educational comics and illustrations. And then in his advanced years, he wrote this comic called A Contract with God, which told the story of Jewish characters living in a tenement on the Lower East Side, you know, in New York. It's a very Jewish story. It's also like a very immigrant New York story as well. I want to convey tears. I want to convey anger. I want to convey the subtleties that people who write with words only are able to convey 
more easily. What actually is it? From the title, this is clearly an explicitly religious piece about religion. It's, what it's is it? so Jewish. And I think we can talk about the story and we will, but like you don't really get a full sense of it till you look at the illustrations themselves. And I would recommend anyone does that. So the guy, he's called like Frimmy Hirsch and he's like a mensch, basically. He's a really upstanding guy. He makes a contract with God where he agrees to lead a good life and a pious life. And in return, God will not necessarily look after him, but just sort of treat him fairly just be fair like that's all he asks in return and then his young daughter dies and he has a big argument with god and he accuses him of breaking the contract and he renounces his faith goes off into the world and makes a load of money and then he has a load of rabbis draw up another contract with god and as the contract is finalized he is struck dead by lightning and what's really interesting about that is that it mirrors eisner's own life right he wrote it about losing his own daughter and he renounced his belief in god when he lost his daughter so on the one hand it's this sort of anti-religious text, right? But the ending is so Jewish, you know, he tries to get one over on God, but he immediately falls down dead. Kind of reminded me of something maybe the Cohen brothers would have done in later years. It's really interesting that it's a Jewish statement where he's simultaneously talking about his problems with God, but also ultimately doing it in a very Jewish way. And I think that's like, it just resonates so much with me as a sort of secular Jew. You, know, you, you can have your challenges with it, but also it's a part of you, right? That's brilliant because it's also sort of Abrahamic in its title, but also this, you know, his personal struggles. Wasn't Abraham as an old man getting circumcised written as a contract with God? I think that's yeah. where the title comes from. And this anguish of grief is sort of related, I guess, to being told to sacrifice his child. Is that close with, with Jonah as well there? It sounds like Job as well. Sounds like a cross between these biblical parallels. And I kind of smiled when you said about the lightning. It's, it is such a comedy, almost slapstick Jewish ending. It's yeah. like a great punchline, which life is a great punchline, isn't it, in Jewish comedy? And you mentioned the Coen brothers there. And actually, like, even though they're working in a very different medium, it's the same kind of thing, isn't it? Their films are Jewish by osmosis, but until I think A Serious Man, they didn't really have a Jewish movie. And that's, what, 25 years into their career. So it's always there, backgrounded. And if you're looking for it, it's there, right? If you're watching it and, you know, you're familiar with that, then you can't ignore it. Saturday, Donnie, is Shabbos, the Jewish day of rust. That means I don't work. I don't drive a car. I don't fucking ride in a car. I don't handle money. I don't turn on the oven. And I sure as shit don't fucking roll! You know, it's just an incredible, like, trailblazing character. I think, like, your Alan Moores and your Neil Gaiman's and even kind of some of, you know, stuff like Mouse and the Wolf of Baghdad, like, more modern kind of graphic novels that deal with history, owe him that debt. And what year is he sort of prolific in? Like, how far back are we going? So kind of uh, 40s. Something that really struck me was just how quick the, uh, for want of a better phrase, Jewish takeover of comic industry happened. Because obviously there's been drawings and things in newspapers, etc. long going back. But then the American comics industry really kind of started, it seems, you know, early 20th century, 20s, 30s. But then almost immediately you went from these couple of years of these, you know, funny books and things to the Jews coming in and saying, we're going to do this in such a groundbreaking and revolutionary way. I'm curious to know, so we've established that they, these were people who were created, talented people who were excluded from certain areas, so they created their own little industry. But when did it move into superheroes? Because that's what I find from a sort of Freudian analysis of what was going on. These are people, I'm guessing, first generation, second generation New Yorkers who their families escape pogroms, as they all do. And then they're creating these like golem type figures that are going to protect humanity. I mean, 
Is it as simple as that? Am I over-egging it slightly? I don't think you are. You've got Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster who created Superman in 38, maybe. And that kind of kick-started that interest in superheroes, didn't it? And then through that traction, you had people like Dan Lee come in, Joe Simon, Jack Kirby, etc. If you look into those stories, they're so Jewish. Underneath it all, I'm really surprised it took me so long to work it out. I did a bit of uh, research of this and Superman's real name is Cal L, which uh, Hebrew scholars will know means the voice of God. Was that Moses's role in the Bible, but he was the prophet, the voice of God. And, you know, this ironic thing of a man who couldn't speak being the voice of the creator or whatever. Did they ever talk about this kind of explicit Jewishness that they were putting in little Easter eggs in for people to find out? There's no biblical story in Superman that they're using, but these are sort of buried in there as little clues for people to find out, I guess. You say that, right? So Superman, in desperate times for his people, he's sent away by his family because he's facing certain death in the environment that he's in. He's sent away by his family. He's found by well-meaning parental figures, right? They don't know his identity. They eventually find his identity. They protect him. He assumes a new identity within society and he leads this double life where he eventually is a saviour to people, right? That's the story of Moses. Yeah. It's not an Easter egg. It's kind of quite (laughs) plainly there when you see it. I think the reason why it still feels a bit hidden is because Superman as a character, he's all American, he's all America. He's this powerful, physically strong character who seems anti-ethical to what Jews are always presented as in media. Even Clark Kent's glasses, he works hard at his white-collar job. He's still all American. To me, at least in the depictions that I've seen, even Clark Kent, even though he's a bit nerdy, I wouldn't say he was nebbishy. He doesn't come across as a very stereotypically Jewish character in that sense. So I think that's why to me, before I kind of knew any of it, before it it did click in the way that you've explained, I hadn't really realised. You know, Superman was a character that I never would have dreamed watching. I think my first real exposure to the character would have been Adventures of Lois and Clark, Terry Hatcher, back on telly in the days. And uh, I never would have sort of seen that character as a Jewish character there. It still has this sort of disguise, for want of a better word. You are a strange one, Clark Kent. Am I? Yeah. I think I got you figured out. Really? Mm-hmm. Didn't take you very long. Well, it's my business looking beyond the external. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's the context of the 30s and 40s and the role of Nazism and characters like Superman and Captain America being that sort of projection, that very sort of stereotypically, say, all-American, very sort of manly projection of some of these writers. I think not all of them were quite bookish and they're projecting that against the backdrop of the Ubermensch, the antithesis of Nietzsche almost and this force for good. So I think you can see it as a reaction to what those Jews writers were seeing happening in Europe at the time. Do you want to kill Nazis? Is this a test? Yes. I don't want to kill anyone. I don't like bullies. I don't care where they're from. Captain America in particular, I guess, is a, sort of the antithesis of fascism in Europe. There's a famous picture, isn't it, of, of him punching Hitler. Yeah, that was the first issue. You know, that was yeah. like how Captain America came into the public consciousness. Also, at a time when, correct me if I'm wrong, it was before America was involved in the war. So it was whilst they were still isolationists. So it was quite a bold thing to come out and be like, we're literally punching Nazism in the face right now. 
So who created Captain America? Was that Stan Lee? I think it's before Stan Lee's time, but certainly Jack Kirby was involved, wasn't he? And he's quite an interesting character because he, in real life, and very kind of an antithesis to that stereotype that I know you guys kind of talk about on your podcast quite a lot. Like he was offering out Nazis. That story where a load of neo-Nazis came into the lobby of the building and he like literally rolled up his sleeves and went downstairs to fight them and they'd gone like... (laughs) I had Captain America beating up on Hitler on the covers of the comic magazines and Captain America breaking into Nazi strongholds. And he did those daring things which Americans dreamt of doing and were on the brink of doing, but we were still biding our time. A few days ago, I was listening to a podcast. It was This American Life. They had a bit of Chris Ware, the graphic novelist. And he was talking about his childhood desire to be a superhero. But the reality was that he was really weak and he couldn't fight anyone. And of course, the music they used underneath this is Kletzmer. And I found that really problematic because Chris Ware is not Jewish, but they've gone for a trope of the nebbish Jew as the opposite of a strong superhero. The time of this was going on, the nebbish Jew didn't really exist. They were sort of tough Jews in the tough part of the world fighting their way to freedom descendants of people who survived pogroms and then you move into like the 40s you've got the stories of the warsaw ghetto we've kind of basing this idea of the nebbish jew or film woody allen films since the 70s it's just really interesting to see there's another part of our history where it's like celebrating the street fighting tough guys and women who uh, stood up against fascism creating these comic books as a sort of product of that yeah and i think jack kirby could take care of himself right but i think probably a lot of these other writers were uh, exercising that through their, <laughs> through their yeah writing. fair enough yeah and like in the streets. What about actual Jewish characters, though? Because there's one thing that's the creators. And then, you know, like we say, there's these sort of allusions to Moses and the Bible. But what about actual superheroes with a Jewish backstory? So that's quite interesting because, you know, in the comics world, this thing of canon and what is canon and what isn't and when is canon introduced just kind of complicates. What is canon, first of all? Well, this idea that, like, you can write a story and it is officially part of that character's backstory versus something that isn't canon. We could just write the story and then we can kind of pretend it's not part of so can you guys name any jewish comic book characters uh, moon knights okay because right. there's a recent tv show and I'm, I'm pretty sure they uh had it in there I've seen a picture of the thing with a kapara on i don't know if it was satire or not the thing the, the guy made out of rocks brilliant <laughs> it was always known that jack had drawn a picture of the thing you know with a yarmulke and prayer shawl on mm-hmm. um and i forget exactly why he drew it it wasn't like in a comic he just drawn it but the you know people who know jack's work had seen it and I said, well, what if we do the story where we reveal Ben is Jewish? Yeah. Anyone else? All right. I've heard rumours at Spider-Man. I think he grew up in, Ooh, uh, yeah, in okay. Forest Hills, Queens. And I don't think it's possible to not be Jewish in Forest Hill, Queens. Like Joey Ramone, right? Exactly. Yeah. He's Jewish. He's from Forest Hills. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spider-Man thing is interesting, right? There's a load of characters that are explicitly Jewish, but I think we should talk about why that's not as simple as it as you think it might be. But there's also like characters where there's speculation that we talked about Superman. So is Spider-Man Jewish? A lot of people think Spider-Man is Jewish. If you Google it, what do all the people that think Spider-Man is Jewish have in common? They're Jewish. They're all Jewish. (laughs) You can see like the trait in Spider-Man, right? He's got that anxiety. He's got that spilkus, right? He never feels like he's doing enough. 
and you know i think we see a lot of ourselves in that yeah but they're not necessarily exclusively jewish traits i think for me the power of spider-man is that he's got that ultimate underdog story right so you can always see yourself in it particularly if you're a bit of a geek or whatever in enter the spider-verse he's seen at a wedding breaking a glass you see i saved the city fell in love i got married saved the city some more maybe too much my marriage got testy made some dicey money choices don't invest in a spider themed there's a lot of things that are hinted at but i don't believe they've ever come out and officially said they being marvel spider-man is jewish because an interesting question is who is the first jewish comic book character right so moon knight debuts in 1975 magneto debuts in x-men number one 1963 well, well there because magneto is a bit i've heard this is a retrospective thing where originally he was like a polish christian and then he became oh he's in the concentration camps because he's jewish but actually he's there because he's polish am i on the right track sir uh, yeah I, i'm trying to make a clever point that a lot of these are a retrospective basically so right like, right so like the thing the character was from fantastic four number one which was 1961 but he wasn't kind of outed as until the 2000s and you know the same thing with Moonlight and Magneto as you said Magneto X-Men number one 1963 right but it was in 1981 when Chris Claremont wrote that dialogue that confirmed him as an Auschwitz survivor but even then not a Jew necessarily and then Chris Claremont left Marvel in the 90s they kind of went along the lines that Magneto is actually of Roma heritage so they sort of backpedaled on the, on the Jewish thing and then in 2009 then obviously the X-Men films come out and you have that big famous scene where he's outside the gates of Auschwitz and he's bending the doors in yeah. his hands and after that in 2009 he was Jewish in Canada I remember seeing the first X-Men film and I think they kind of do the scene again in X-Men First Class. Yeah. And yeah. I I found it a lot. I mean, I have a very high tolerance for allowing a lot of anything in movies and in art generally. But I remember watching the first X-Men movie at the time and, and more recently watching First Class and thinking, it's a bit much. It's not that I don't think that comic book movies and comic books can address serious or big things. I didn't have any issue with Mouse. But to take Auschwitz the camps the gates and to have it there in a film which unlike Mouse is much more of a pure entertainment vehicle like that first X-Men movie I didn't walk out or anything but I did have a moment when I was watching it where I was thinking is this right and I was wondering if either of you had any sense of that especially you Dom as being someone who kind of knows the comics and is in that world a little bit more kind of almost had the opposite thought really I think it's just really important to see that stuff and actually I think it's probably more problematic to shy away from it with Moon Knight Jewish character there was a lot of debate on the internet about whether they'd honoured his Jewish heritage enough on the screen I understand what you're saying but I think it's probably worse in a way to, to sort of whitewash Magneto's you know, that, that story is important, right? I've watched lots of films about Holocaust, about slavery, about other historic atrocities and things. And maybe there's a bit of latent snobbishness that I still have about inverted commas comic book movies. Maybe that was that little bit nagging away at me. Let's just say I'm Frankenstein's monster. creator 
it's an interesting one with Magneto. When he first came out, I think he was kind of this one-dimensional, hey, he's a bad guy. And I think it's worth talking about Stan Lee's contribution to that idea that good and bad is a little bit more nuanced and, and how he gave those characters real-life concerns and anxiety. But um, do you think they're trying to make them more relatable by not giving them too much of a detailed religion and ethnicity? Is it a kind of self-censorship? They're like, well, we want this to appeal to a broad audience and they're not going to like it if Spider-Man is explicitly Jewish. So we'll just kind of put in little, like we said before, Easter eggs for people mm. to pick up on. There probably was some of that in the past. Now we're in an era where representation is really important, right? And I think now we're starting to see that kind of come to the fore a bit more. The one I think is is obviously a Jewish character that people are not going to say is Tony Stark. He's a businessman called Tony Stark. I mean, he could be Italian, I guess. What do you think, Mayor? I never thought of Tony Stark as Jewish, but I think that's maybe because I've not read the comics and I kind of see it as, as Robert Downey Jr.'s character. And to me, how it's portrayed doesn't have that vibe to me at all. Big man in a suit of armor. Take that off. What are you? Genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. So Moonlight, he's, I'm a bit confused. So he's someone with a split personality, is that right? But he's also the embodiment of an Egyptian god. Have I got that right? Yeah, I think the stuff around his personality, again, as a lot of things with comic, it came a lot later. Right. So in the original comic, he was just someone that had different identities. He would leverage these different identities to get into different situations. But then later on, that kind of became retrospectively into different personalities. It's a bit of a minefield, though. If you're Disney and you're trying to bring this to life, you've got to kind of balance the sensitivities of he's a Jewish character, but he's also there's a pharaonic god present in there, Egyptian culture. Like they've got to kind of tread a very careful line in terms of representation. And if you're going to lose anything, you'll probably lose the Jewish aspect because it's the easy one to just sort of dismiss, I think. As you say, it was a difficult thing for them to do. And like Moon Knight in the comics, right? He's not Jewish for 10 years. And then right. 10 years later, Moon Knight was basically, as I understand, it's one of the first comics to really address anti-semitism in 1984 so in the same edition of Moon Knight he spots a burning synagogue and rescues a Torah scroll so he becomes the first comic book character to rescue a Torah scroll right then he stops the vandalism of a Jewish cemetery he's the son of a rabbi a rabbi who flees the Nazi invasion of Czechoslovakia you know I mean there's a lot of expectation for that character when they announced that TV series that's a lot actually and it doesn't trickle down into the actual narrative then that they put on screen. So the way they dealt with it is there are two scenes where he's sitting shiver, I think, once for his brother and then once when his mum dies. He's wearing a kippah and it's obviously a Jewish shiver, right? Mom's death and shiver two months ago. So the moment our lives started bleeding into um, each other. So they don't really, like, there's no like, hey, he's a Jewish superhero, like jazz hands or whatever. But they do acknowledge it and they got a lot of flack for not making making him more Jewish. But I think it's a hard line to tread, right? As you say, personally, in seeing it, I felt like they'd done enough to acknowledge it. As you say, like it would have been really problematic to write out completely. But, you know, as you say, Nico, they were balancing so much expectation and how can they do justice to all of those facets? I've been in situations like this before. So have I. It's the same body, isn't it? Really interesting you said about how Moon Knight was the first superhero to directly address anti-Semitism because in light of we've spoken about Superman and these characters from Jewish creators who have this almost Jewish urtext about them. I listened to a radio show from it was 1946, Superman and the Clan of the Fiery Cross. So this is a year after the war and mm. you've got Superman here helping Jimmy Olsen and this other boy kind of take down, you know, the KKK really. Here they're called the Clan of the Fiery Cross and it's a really good series. And now, the adventures of Superman. 
A young Chinese boy named Tommy Lee, star pitcher on the Unity House baseball team, has been threatened by a group of intolerant bigots who call themselves the clan of the Fiery Cross. The thing that really struck me about it was the character that first gets attacked by these clansmen is Tommy Lee, a Chinese character. And there's repeated bits here, you know, when Clark Kent or Superman himself is talking about real Americans don't mind what colour your skin is, what religion you go, what church you go to. It never says the word Jewish once in this entire 16-part mm. series. There you are in 1946, Superman, this character made by Jewish creators, and yet once in passing they don't say, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Muslim, no, no, it says religion, but the character that gets attacked in this is a Chinese character, and it's never once said anything about Jews or Judaism or anti-Semitism. I was not sure why that would be, but maybe 1946, it's still maybe not the time for that to be on mainstream American radio. It's really telling because it's not until, as far as I can work out, the late 70s that we start to see this explicit mention of Judaism, Jewish characters in comics. Kitty Pride in X-Men wearing a Star of David in like 79. And the same year you've got DC show Colossal Boy going home for the holidays and he's got a menorah up. As you say, like that was the 40s. It kind of took comics till the late 70s to really show that. Well, isn't there also around that time, Whistle came out? I think she was a DC hero from New York and she's like a very explicitly Jewish political activist in New York. And she's also got superpowers, but she's kind of disappeared into the ether of superheroes no one's remembered. I don't know if they rebooted Whistle recently. I feel like maybe I've read that. I'm Willow Zimmerman, born and raised here in Gotham. To help my mom with her medical bills, I've been organizing these poker nights for a family friend. And this is Leibowitz. She's my best friend. After an attack, I developed super hearing and smell. And now I can talk to dogs. I guess I'm kind of a superhero. Time to see if I can use these powers to save my neighborhood. Just a girl and her dog. Whistle and the Hound. Yeah, and around the same time they did um, Seraph in DC, who turns up on an adventure with Superman, and he's a Jewish superhero. He's got Star of David ring, and he's got Moses' staff, which he uses to defuse a bomb. He's got Samson's hair for strength. They waited a really long time, then they just went all in with it. What are all the things we could throw at this? Has he got King David's uh, catapult or something? <laughs> you joke about it, but I, I think you actually might be right. <laughs> I love that. In the last 20 years, is it? Maybe a bit less than that. We are very much in the comics era, specifically really the, the Marvel comics era when it comes to cinema and television as well, actually. Sucked up the whole culture. And given how big comics, Marvel comics are, and also given how central New York is to a lot of the Marvel stories that I see on the screen, how Jewish do we think specifically, I think, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I mean, we've got Moon Knight, but other than that, how much are we seeing Jewishness in those 30-odd films and 15 odd TV shows? It's a good question because Scarlet Witch, who was obviously a really big part of the last, I lose track of the Marvel phases, but one of the most recent phases, yeah. you know, she was all over the Doctor Strange thing and obviously, um, what was the thing? WandaVision. Show. WandaVision. Wanda and Vision. Aren't we a five pair? This is our home now. I want us to fit in. Oh, this is going to be a gap. She's Magneto's daughter. She's Jewish in the comics. 
there was no mention of that and obviously potentially that was a big opportunity to introduce quite a big Jewish character I thought she was um, Romany well that probably goes back to like that whole debate maybe she's half and half maybe that's how they've explained it like... <laughs> I have heard both things to be fair but is that kind of pick and choose isn't it depending on what the storyline is I guess maybe what about Taika Waititi I mean is he the only Jewish director they've got I mean has he done any Jewishness in his stories I mean, nothing that leaps out. No, I did read about the new Hawkeye is Jewish and there's a little scene of a menorah in her apartment in the TV series. I watched it, the most recent one, where they were sort of doing the old passing of the torch. I can't remember if they had that. They, they might well have done and I probably missed it. Certainly wasn't at front and centre. Like you were talking before about how big representation is now and how obviously it wasn't like the case before and things would be alluded to. And how, if you look at something like Ms. Marvel, which I thought was great actually, yeah, how yeah, big yeah. a part of it was narratively, aesthetically, to make it representational. Kamala, you are going to start with the Mosque Bros, yes? Come on, the Mosque Bros never respect the halal guy. Hey, I mean, at least the fine boys are easier. Their life is one giant halal gap. After that, we will mobilize the Sunday school teachers to help infiltrate the Instaclick. Bruno, your group should be relatively easy. It's the converts. Technically the reverts. But to do that, you have to make it past the mini Harami girls. And last, the ones who know it all and will not let you forget it, the Illuminantes. And so I can see why some people might have thought it was a missed opportunity with Moon Knight. Then again, almost because so many of the comic creators are Jewish and because for so long there was at least the illusions and hidden Jewishness there, I would have probably not been that keen on it being a bit OTT with Moonlight or any other character making it this big hey here's the Jewish representation I'm kind of happier for it not to be that mm. I, I think it's different with a character like Ms. Marvel because of where we are in the position in the culture and where Muslim characters and Muslim creators are actually writing or on the screen I think it's a different situation and I think making a big deal of it an overly big deal of it with a Jewish character or Jewish characters to me would be a bit unnecessary every time we do a podcast though there's always the question of separating the Jewishness of the creators to the actual product that's coming out and it feels like comedy and punk were sort of aligned because quite explicitly made certainly in stand-up comedy but like we're moving away from that aren't we wrestling and and, uh, comic books that people are sort of self-censoring perhaps or just not wanting to foreground that aspect of who they are beyond superheroes though if we could talk about Art Spiegelman and what he did it feels a bit like what you're saying about Will Eisner there was a clearer line there so it's now the time to admit that I got a copy of Mouse for my bar mitzvah. Didn't read it because I was more interested in listening to Guns N' Roses. So I think I have to sit this one out. Oh, really? It's on my list. Oh, man. (laughs) It's great. It's great. I mean, I've only read about five comics and Mouse is one of them. And it genuinely is really good. And I don't know if it's maybe it's comics for people who don't read comics. It's got the critical acclaim and the heaviness of the material. It's fantastic. It's it's kind of the story of the Holocaust, but with Jews as mice and Nazis as cats and and so on. Being a lot more reductive about it than I should be. It's it's a a very good comic. Mouse obviously won the Pulitzer Prize and it kind of changed the face of comic books and in much more sort of serious aspect. But I think Art Spiegelman's a very interesting person because before that he did the garbage pile kids
And I love the idea of the person who did the garbage pile kids winning a Pulitzer Prize for, for anything. But it came out of an underground comic series called Raw magazine. And it was sort of, I guess, the parallel to what was going on with the sort of superhero comics. But there was a, a more of a kind of artful, dark side of graphic novels that these people were working on. He's still going strong now. And he's, yeah, I think you'd love it, Dom. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's very dark. I remember, you know, it's still sort of seared into my memory. Some of the um, panels in it are just harrowing of all the mice being gassed. I think also it talks about the different people who are sort of in the camps and they're different types of animals. I think communists were pigs, which I'm not sure is a favourable, maybe it's a George Orwell reference. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's got a kind of parallel story. So it's about Art's dad, who's a survivor, him telling the story in the present day, but also dealing with just his father's son dynamic. That's obviously very different to what your area of superheroes, but they're obviously cut from the same cloth in terms of exploring these psychological stories through these avatar characters, I suppose. Mao's is a comic about a father and son trying to understand each other. I think it's more directly that than it is about the Holocaust, you know? I don't know if you guys have heard of The Wolf of Baghdad. It's a recent graphic novel that came out by a UK Mizrahi Jewish writer called Carol Isaacs, who'd been a cartoonist on Private Eye and stuff like that, I think. And like similarly to Mouse, it's like a biographical account of Jewish life, but in Baghdad. And again, has that narrative where it fits between the present and the past. My family are from Baghdad, but I didn't really know about this story and the institutional kind of anti-Semitism and the eventual expulsion of the Jews in the late 40s. So again, like the power of graphic novels to retell history and is, I think, really important. It goes back to this idea that those early comic book writers telling trivial stories, like it wasn't a serious art form, but actually there is so much power in that art form, I think. Yeah, there's a sort of Trojan horse aspect to it as well, but you can kind of sneak in quite big ideas or explain history in a way that words alone may not get the audience that you want. The fact that, you know, I was a kid reading Mouse and, you know, it had such a profound effect on me, but would I have put, picked up the memoirs of Court Survivor? Probably not, unless it was Anne Frank, I guess. But even Anne Frank, it, the beauty of it as a work is that it, it speaks directly to people of that age and in a way that a book by a grown-up telling you a history story would have a limited audience, perhaps. Young people write to me asking questions. Many are writing a diary themselves, calling their diary Anna's diary. They write to Anna as Anna wrote to Kitty. Now, we've only been really speaking about American comics. We haven't mentioned, I think, English comics. I don't know much about English comics beyond you know, Beano, Dandy, etc., which I think is its own very different world. But I know most comics sold in the world today are in, in Japan. And manga, I think, is a bigger industry than American comics. I did just have a quick Google. Is there any Jewish manga? And there was one comic which I'm going to have to get because it looked really fascinating called Message to Adolf. It's about the three intertwined stories of three people called Adolf. Adolf Camille, an Ashkenazi Jew living in Japan, a German, Japanese, Japanese person who isn't Jewish called Adolf Kaufman and of course Adolf Hitler. I just find it interesting that obviously it's a very different culture but even in Japan, even in the world of manga, there is uh, at least one Jewish comic that I know about which I will have to hunt down and uh, you know give a read. 
Tezuka began drawing comic strips in the immediate post-war years when Japan needed entertainment which was cheap and escapist and encouraging to the national morale. Today he's regarded as the father of the comic book movement, which has grown into a multi-billion yen industry. It's probably worth acknowledging as well, like we've talked a lot about Marvel and DC and MCU and like the really big mainstream comics, but also like the independents. I picked up a comic at a comic con about 10 years ago called Watchmench, which was like a take on Watchmen. I don't remember anything about it. I just thought the pun was really good. And obviously the story didn't stay with me, but I think it just goes to show the power of a good Jewish pun, if nothing else. I thought Watchmen was uh, most of the characters are Jewish and Watchmen, like Dr. Manhattan. And I actually pulled up for this chat because Dr. Manhattan is Jonathan Osterman, who I guess is based on Oppenheimer. Reassembling myself was the first trick I learned. It didn't kill Osterman. Did you really think it would kill me? And then you've got Daniel Dreyberg, who's Night Owl 2, and there's a few others. And I read somewhere that Alan Moore made it as a tribute to the Jewish comic book writers that inspired him. He wanted the real names of his superheroes to be very Jewish sounding. That's interesting. Just thinking about that Night Owl character, is he's not the character I'd have chosen to be a great example of Jewish representation. <laughs> no. He's a bit crap, isn't he? They're all flawed, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, the comedian is probably the most flawed of all of them. And I think he's definitely not Jewish. He's supposed to be an aggressive Vietnam hero. You know, if we lost here in Vietnam, I think it might have driven us crazy. You know, as a country. But we didn't. Thanks to you. You sound bitter. Me? Bitter? Fuck no. I think it's hilarious. I think someone like Alan Moore, yeah, he's so clever and, and so layered in what he does. I wouldn't put him past him to have this kind of unwritten backstory for all his characters that he doesn't put into the actual storylines. Yeah, and I think you can really draw that line from Stanley to Alan Moore. I mean, that thing that Stanley really pioneered was that his characters have the sort of human side of comic book characters where they're normal people thrown into superb situations and they have anxiety and they have worries and you're starting to draw them beyond that two-dimensional, oh, this one's and this one's bad and I think you can really see that line to Alan Moore where he's really just fleshing out the flaws in everyone the way realism sits alongside this supernatural powered world the importance of making your characters three-dimensional can't really be uh, uh, overstated Stan Lee came up with a kind of formula whereby he would give a personality problem to his good guys and his bad guys. This is a two-dimensional character. If you want a three-dimensional character, then you have to take that much, much further. I think that's exactly why Spider-Man is, you know, Superman's probably the most famous character, but Spider-Man, I think, is the one that people have a special place in their heart for because he's most relatable. He's a teenager. These are stories primarily aimed at teenagers that everyone can enjoy. But there's something about Spider-Man, his thing about, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. He didn't ask for this, but he's having to accept it and live up to what his potential. And it, it does feel a bit like a boy going for his bar mitzvah or a girl going for a bat mitzvah. The weight of the world's on their shoulders. And I like the idea. I, I want to take away from this that Spider-Man is Jewish and I'm not going to have anyone dispute. <laughs> Spider-Man.